Okay, hi everyone. <laughs> um, my name is May. Um, maybe like you haven't seen me around upstairs because I've been downstairs with the kids for the past two months. So Steve and I decided to do a swap today. Um, I think it's because he thinks this passage is too hard. That's why he's like giving it to me. <laughs> but anyway, I'm so happy to be here. I really enjoy the worship and um, I just really miss it. I love being with the kids, but this is different. This is fun. Um, so yeah, really happy to be here. So we're at the end of the Ephesians series. Um, and today we're actually going to touch on a pretty, um, how should I say it, a, quite a different um, it's going to be quite a different talk, and the content's going to be quite interesting. So I hope you all have an open mind, and yeah, just listen, and feel free to give me any feedback you like, or ask any questions afterwards. More than welcome um, to come and, you know, even arrange to have a cup of coffee with me. I know I always say this, but no one really ever does. But anyway, um, cool. I'm going to start with a prayer, so please join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, um, thank you so much. Um, for being here, for being with us. Thank you so much for your son, Jesus, for what he did for us on the cross. Thank you so much for the Holy Spirit, who is always with us, who is protecting us and is working um, in our hearts right now. We pray that you'll help us to have spiritual understanding, um, give us um, open ears and open hearts to receive your message today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So I like to start with a little trivia. Now, who likes trivia here? Okay, see if you can get this right. All right, what is the longest war in human history? And how long did this war last for? <laughs> Take a guess at any number. Tony, what do you think? How long did this war last for? Yeah, or like, no, all human history. Any number. <laughs> 60 years, okay. Any takers higher than that? 110, okay. Well, um, I'm going to give you the answer. The war is um, a religious war called, I don't even know how to say this, Reconquista, um, and it lasted for 781 years. Yeah, it's really long. Okay, what about the war with the greatest number of casualties? Which war was that? World War II. Very good. I need to give you like something. <laughs> yeah. And around like 56.4 million deaths. So I shouldn't be laughing. It's really sad. <laughs> the war with the highest stakes. Okay, well, um, the war with the highest stakes. It really depends on who you talk to and which side you are on. But let's have a look. Um, maybe World War Three with nuclear weapons in the future, maybe a future war with other planets and alien beings, and the highest stake would be the survival of the human race. But maybe, just maybe, you know, people are trying to say it's the climate war, you know, like global warming and stuff. Um, but still the stakes are the survival of the human race and planet Earth. Okay, then who do you think, um, who would be considered to be the most powerful enemy the US, the, Rus the Russians, China. Um, I think, next uh, slide please. Probably in the future again, possibly aliens who are far more technologically <laughs> advanced as movies would tell us, right. Okay, but what if I told you 
that there is one war that tops it all. A war that has lasted way longer than 781 years. In fact, it's been a few thousand years since this war has started. And though some major victories have been won, they, they were major victories, but this war has not yet ended. This war is also the deadliest war with the greatest number of people involved and has the highest number of casualties. And the enemy, more powerful than the Avengers, and the most they are the most dangerous and powerful enemies that humanity has ever known. And you know, there's one really scary fact about this war. It's that most people don't even know that they are involved. This is bad news because how can people fight this war if they don't even know that it existed? But the bad news doesn't end there because you know what? You are part of that war. Whether you like it or not, there is no escape from this war. It may sound cliche, but it really is the greatest battle of all times. There is a war on your souls. There is a war on your soul. This is a spiritual war. But I have good news. Because the passage we're going to read today will tell us some important things that we need to know about spiritual warfare so that we can be better prepared. The passage today is going to teach us who the enemies are and what resources are available to us in order to come out of the other end standing. And the best news is if you fight on the right side and follow the instructions, then it is impossible for you to lose the war. Isn't that great? That's great. Let's read from our passage today, Ephesians chapter 6. If you have your Bible with you, um, please open up to Ephesians chapter 6, or feel free to look it up on your phone, or, you, or we have it here on the PowerPoint. Starting with verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray for me also, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fiercely, fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Amen. So, let's talk about the enemy. In verse 11, it tells us that we must put on the whole armor of God so that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil, or the Satan, 
um, is the leader of the enemy. Many people in our society today question whether the devil is a real personal being. Some people think that the devil is just the personification of evil or a symbolism for evil, but not a real being. But as the famous quote tells us, the greatest trick the devil has ever played was to convince the world that he did not, he, he does not exist. The greatest trick the devil has ever played was to convince the world that he does not exist. But Jesus himself taught about the existence of the devil. Jesus met with the devil, met the devil personally when the devil tried to tempt Jesus in the beginning of his ministry. When talking about this with his disciples in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, when talking about the devil, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. According to Jesus, the devil is called the following names. The enemy, the evil one, the prince of this world, a liar, the father of lies, a murderer. The devil has many names and titles. Some most well-known are probably the Satan, which actually means the adversary or the enemy. And others include Lucifer, the Lord of the Flies, ancient serpent, and sometimes the dragon. In Ephesians, we've been reading through Ephesians, in Ephesians, he's called the ruler of this dark world. All of them point to a real personal being that opposes God. So where did the devil come from and why are we involved in the war against him? According to the Bible, the devil was originally one of the angelic beings that God had created. However, he rebelled against God with one third of the angels in heaven and he became the devil. Let me read for you what Revelation 12 says. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. Remember, the dragon is another name um, for the devil. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. After he lost the war in heaven, the devil and his angels, um, so his angels, like in our passage, they're called the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. They continue to oppose God. They've lost the war in heaven, but now they oppose God by turning their attention to earth and to humanity. Why? Well, because the devil knows that human beings occupy a very special place in God's heart. He knows that God really loves us. We're created in God's image, and God wants us to be with him forever. But the enemy would not have it that way. So in Genesis chapter 3, the devil appeared in the Garden of Eden in the form of a snake, and he successfully, he successfully tempted our ancestors Adam and Eve to sin. But he didn't stop there. In fact, the enemy had been so successful in his mission that in Revelation 12, the Bible tells us the whole earth had been led astray. But it's not just the earth in general. He has been working actively in our lives. Previously in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul pointed out to us that before we became followers of Jesus, we used to be followers 
of Satan and his angels. Make no mistake. The enemy, they are working hard today and every day to try to steal, to kill, and destroy our relationship with God. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, the enemy wants to ensure that you will never follow him. Satan wants you to keep following Satan and his angels and in his ways to sin and offend God, and in the end, you will be condemned and judged by God. You know, like people tend to think that God somehow loves to judge and condemn and punish people. I don't know where that idea comes from. Maybe from the devil. Um, People tend to think that, but that's a lie. God does not take delight in punishing us. He is just and he will punish sin, but he's not happy doing it. He's not delighted to do it. He He says he wants wicked people to turn and be saved. That's why he sent Jesus. He wants people to be saved, not condemned. But it's Satan, the enemy, that takes delight in seeing humanity, humanity being punished and judged by God. You see that the enemy has somehow twisted people's understanding and made that, you know, about God taking delight. But really, it's the enemy taking delight in human condemnation. Well, what about for those who already follow Jesus? The enemy still has plans for you. He also wants to steal, kill, and destroy your relationship with God so that you would be rendered so weak and incapacitated that you would no longer be effective and fruitful as the disciple of Jesus. Do you know Christians like that? Do you know churches like that? Followers of Jesus who are so weakened to the point that they they do not have the resurrected power or you do not see the resurrected power of Jesus working in their lives. Though they have been made alive in Christ, they have very little taste for heavenly things. They are unfit for service, unwilling to battle, and therefore they make very little or close to no impact for the kingdom. Worse still, some Christians have even become tools that the devil would use to break up the church, cause division, and shipwreck other people's faith. So my question to you is this, brothers and sisters. Have you been passively allowing the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy your relationship with God? Or are you standing firm in the Lord and in the power of his resurrected, um, in the power of the resurrected Jesus? In our passage today, we are told that we need to actively fight against the enemy. It says in verse 12, we do not struggle against flesh and blood. The word struggle here can be translated as a wrestle, a wrestling match, or a close hand-to-hand combat. We need to actively engage in this wrestle. We need to defend, and then we need to fight back. But how are we to wrestle against such powerful forces and enemy? Isn't that too much to ask? Well, it's yes and no. Yes, it is too much to ask if we do not have God on our side, if we have not yet been made alive by Jesus, if we have not yet chosen to follow Jesus and we are not on God's team, then yes, it is too much. But if you are a Christian who trusts in Jesus, then no, it's not too much to ask because we do not stand in our own power, but in the strength 
of our God. This is not an ultimate struggle between equal forces of good and evil. I'd like to show you a PowerPoint. This is what some people think. We have this picture of God wrestling with the devil. Sometimes God is winning. Sometimes Satan is winning. And then like nobody really knows who's going to win at the end. That's the picture that some people have. Will, will Satan be able to beat God in the end? Is there even a possibility for the enemy to win? No. This is not an equal struggle. God has already won. Satan, after all, is just a fallen created being, an angel, not God. God is the only creator, the only all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise one. God has already won the first war in heaven. That's why Satan was hurled down. And now, even though Satan's war on humanity is still going on, the ending has already been made sure. The battle was guaranteed. The results were guaranteed um, because Jesus has, in fact, won. So there you go, that picture. The victory was secured for humanity when Jesus died on the cross and resurrected from the dead as both God and man. So you see, the most important battle for humanity has already been won. The Bible teaches us that Jesus has already crushed Satan under his feet. Not only so, the Bible tells us in Romans 16 verse 20 that soon, soon, very soon, the God of peace will crush Satan under our feet too because Jesus has already won and those who are on Jesus' side will win with him. There is still a struggle, yes. This is, you know, the war is still going on. But why is there still a war if Jesus has already won? Because what we have today is more like the mopping up operations or the cleanup operations or the rescue missions. After seizing enemy territory, units will usually be sent in to do the cleanup. You know, there might be landmines that still need to be disarmed. There might be structures that need to be, you know, taken down. There might be small enemy forces that need to be rooted out and hostages that need to be rescued. If left unchecked and if we don't battle, it can still cause a lot of trouble. And you bet the enemy will try his best to stir up problems for us. So yes, Jesus has won the decisive victory for us. And yes, we should celebrate and rejoice in that. And yet, we still need to actively engage, train, and take up, and take our, up our weapons and our armor and take our cleanup operations seriously. But don't worry. If you are on Jesus' side, you cannot lose the battle, nor your life. If we, resi we resist the devil, the Bible teaches us, the devil will flee from us. The enemy can be resisted, and God has given us a full spiritual armor to help us in this effort. And in the end, Jesus will come back, and when he comes back, that would be the end of the enemy. They will be thrown into the lake of fire, and there will be no more. But until then, we need to put on this full spiritual armor to help us resist the devil. We can find the description of the armor in verses 14 to, 6 to 17. The armor consists of the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, gospel shoes, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is God's word.
We won't have time to go into everything, so I'm just going to pick a few um, to talk about. I'm going to start with the belt of truth. Truth is extremely important in this fight against the enemy because the enemy's number one power is deception. The devil is a liar. When speaking about the devil in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, and for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In fact, the very first time the devil appears in the Bible, that's exactly what he was doing. He was lying. God told Adam and Eve that they were not to eat from the forbidden tree in the garden, and if they did, they would die. But what did the devil say? You will not surely die. But of course, that was a lie, and death entered the world because of Adam and Eve's rebellion. But it's not just the devil. His servants also lie. Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. You know, like people are quite trusting um, and sometimes naive when it comes to, spirit, comes to the spiritual realm. Um, I remember like having this conversation with my auntie in Taiwan. She's a very spiritual person and she often goes to meditation. And when she does, she often goes into this, what we called an altered state of consciousness. When she enters into that state, she would sometimes see visions. And I tried to talk to her about Jesus. I said, auntie, you know, what do you think about Jesus? And she told me, I think Jesus is just one of the gods among many. And I was like, well, how do you know? And she said, because I met them in my meditation. I met Jesus, and I also met the other gods. I saw visions of them. And I was like, well, how do you know that it was Jesus and who those other gods were? And she said, well, because they, they told me. They told me their names. And I was quite curious. I was like, well, how do you know that they're telling the truth? And she said, well, because when they appear to me, when they talk to me, I feel this warm sensation of love and acceptance. So I know that they are telling the truth. And because of these experiences, my auntie decided to reject the gospel. Your Jesus is just one of them, she said. Nothing special. Guys, the enemy is smart. If the enemy appeared as a scary demon and brought feelings of dread, what would my auntie do? She would be scared. She would probably stop meditation and she'll run the other way. Imagine if Satan appeared like that in the garden to Eve, what would Eve have done? She would have run away. They, she would not have been able to have that conversation with him. So of course, He's going to appear to be a warm, loving presence, a handsome being that seems wise, good, and delightful. But not everything supernatural, not everything that feels like a loving presence is God. The enemy can take many forms and even come up with new lies too. 
You know, I've talked about this with some of you, but many of you do not know that I like talking about this. But have you noticed that there are so many alien movies and there are so many like, reports of the sightings of UFOs and stuff like that? What if one day you encounter a so-called alien being and they talk to you? Will you just believe what they say because they somehow come from a more advanced civilization? How do you know that they are trustworthy? Just because they have great powers and have more are more technologically advanced? I want to make a suggestion. If the enemy can appear as gods that people worshipped in different cultures, the enemy can also appear as aliens from outer space. I want to simply make a suggestion. Christians are just as trusting and naive sometimes. We get invited to big Christian conferences and we are told, Pastor so-and-so comes from the US and has power to do this and that. You should come and experience the miracles and the work of God. And we just go without knowing much about this pastor or his or her life story. And we let them lay their hands on us and pray and impart some sort of spiritual anointing on us. But guys, not every miracle comes from God. Not every tongue vision comes from God. Let's not be so naive. The enemy is clever. He is a deceiver. And his, servant, his servants certainly will disguise themselves as ambassadors of God. So then, how do we fight against the enemy's deception? With the truth. With the belt of truth and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Bible claims that, the Bible claims that it is the absolute truth from God. God revealed his truth to us. The Bible is the sword of the Spirit. One thing the devil will try to do is to stop you from reading your Bible. Guaranteed. Because the Bible is our best defense and our best offense. There is no point putting the, uh, the Bible under your pillow or to hold it out in front of you like this against the devil. It doesn't work like that. You have to open it. Read it, understand it, meditate on it, and allow it to renew your mind. You need to put it on as a belt and learn to wield it as a sword. The devil wants you to think that reading the Bible is mundane. It's ordinary. It's boring. It's normal. It's not as exciting as visions, dreams, miracles. He wants you to chase after those things rather than read the Bible because he knows how dangerous it is when people start to understand the Bible. So guys, if you feel that it is difficult, if you struggle to read God's Word, remember the moment you want to read God's Word, you've entered into the war zone. The enemy hates it that you read God's Word and that you take it to heart, but you must you must, because without it, you will not be able to effectively use the other pieces of the armor that God gives to us. Without God's word, we will not be able to effectively use the other pieces of armor. And with every lie of the enemy, there will at least be a few verses in the Bible that will counter it. Coming back to the armor, mostly armor is defensive. But there are two pieces that would help us advance. 
the sword of the spirit that we already mentioned, which is the word of God. But what is the other one? Would anyone like to take a guess? Another piece of the armor that would help us advance. Uh-huh. Shoes. Excellent. Yay. Okay, shoes. Um, in verse 15, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Ready to do what? To move forward into new territories. When we share the gospel of peace, we are taking the battle to the enemy. We can go on the assault. There are many, there are many others who are still dead in their sin, who are still under captivity. We were once there. We were once dead in our sins, but God made us alive because someone shared the gospel with me, with you. We must go on the offense with our Lord Jesus Christ and set more captives free. So Ian and I love this show on YouTube called Cobra Kai. Can I have a show of hands who watches Cobra Kai here? Oh my goodness. Do you guys know that this is the most popular show right now? Like no one. <sighs> this is like the, uh, wow, I'm so surprised. Right, Google Cobra Kai, okay? <laughs> so this is, it's, a, it's kind of like a Karate Kid spin-off. Um, and so they do a lot of karate in there, okay? Um, so in one scene, in one scene, um, Johnny Lawrence was teaching the students about defense. And he said, the best defense is more offense. And this is how we are to defend, right? More offense. Have you heard of the saying, the hand which strikes also blocks? Are you a Christian who, ha um, who has been finding it hard to defend against the enemy? Then try taking the offensive stance. Some of you know that I work at a Christian group on campus called Mandarin Bible Study. And the pastor there, Jason, he once shared with me, if the churches are not using their energy to advance the gospel, then eventually they will use their, en their energy to argue with each other. If the churches are not using their energy to advance the gospel, then they will eventually use that energy <laughs> to turn on each other. That's so sad. But ain't nobody got time for that. Ain't nobody got time to waste on arguing with one another over small things, the colors of the war. You know, we always say that, but you know, like colors are actually important. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, or other, other things. Ain't nobody got time for that. At Sydney Uni, you know, we know that there are 18,000 Chinese students who need to hear the gospel. Our group at Mandarin Bible Study tries to share that gospel um, in Chinese with these students. So brothers and sisters, join in the offense. Put on your gospel shoes and learn to wield the sword of the Spirit. There's much more that I want to say, but you'll be glad I'm not going to say it because we don't have time. <laughs> but Satan has other tactics like temptation, like accusation, like using fear, like causing illness or even demonic manifestations. These things are true. It happens. There are many more details we can learn in this fight against the enemy. And perhaps some of you know even more details than me because you're a part of God's SWAT team. But no matter what, there's only one thing that we really, really need to know. 
And that is the armor is Jesus. The armor is Jesus-shaped. We must understand that ultimately to put on the armor of God is the same as putting on Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the truth. He is the righteousness. He is our righteousness. He is what the gospel is about. He is always faithful to God and He is the Word of God. To wear the armor means that we focus our attention on Jesus and allow who Jesus is and what He has done and what He thinks of us to shape our lives every day. When Satan lies about God being stingy, God is withholding things from you. You've been praying about this and that and He's not answering you. He is withholding things from you because He's not generous. Then we look to Jesus and we believe what the Bible says. If God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I want to make sound effect like, <laughs> right? Some bomb goes off and the lie is decimated. If we are scared that God will no longer love us because Satan is making us remember all our sins, then we must remember that Jesus has died and paid the punishment for us, past, present, and future. Jesus paid it all. Then we will remember that God's face towards us is not an angry judge or punisher, but a loving father. Okay, make that sound for me. <laughs> Enemy down. As we advance with the gospel and Satan tries to accuse us in our conscience, you sharing the gospel with this person, look at you. You're not a godly person. How dare you? Thank you. How dare you share the, you know, why, what, what makes you think that you can share the gospel with this person? You're not even godly. You're not even righteous. And we say, yes, we are not, but we look to Jesus. I am not righteous, not faithful enough, but Jesus is righteous, and he has given us his righteousness. He's given his righteousness to me. I have no power to stand against you, but I am standing not in my power. I'm standing in the power of the risen Lord Jesus. <laughs> Thank you. Jesus has already won. Remember that picture? Jesus has already won. So whatever tactics the enemy may try on us, if we have Jesus, if we look to Jesus, it can all be overcome. The armor is Jesus-shaped. To put on the armor is to put on Jesus Christ, to actively remember who Jesus is and to imitate him in all of our lives. Dear brothers and sisters, isn't it comforting to know that Jesus has won, that Jesus is enough? With Jesus being our armor, we'll be able to stand. But you know what? We also have each other. When one falls, the other can help him back up. Even Paul, the greatest apostle, doesn't, he understands that he doesn't need to be in the battle alone. And he didn't have to be, and he wasn't in the battle alone. In the last part of our passage, he urged the Ephesians to pray. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions and all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You know, prayer 
and the spiritual battle is like this. You have each and every one of God's children have been given direct access, communication to the commander in chief. When a brother is down, we go, Lord Jesus, please send reinforcements. You know, or if someone is hurt, you go, Lord Jesus, we need medics here. Medics, please. When we see a large group of enemy, we go, Lord Jesus, airstrike. Right? Um, and we have each other. We don't need to be in this battle alone. We can do it together. If you're in trouble, let us know. We have a prayer team. The pastors will pray for you. The leaders will pray for you. Or even just your Christian friend will be happy to pray for you. So in front of you, you see that you have a prayer card. Um, we've placed it in front of you. So if you have a prayer request, please write it down. We would love to pray for you. We want to stand with you in this battle. And after the service, there are prayer warriors here at the piano. They will pray for you. We will pray together. We don't need to be in this battle alone. Is that right? Amen? Praise be to the Lord.